And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Well, this morning we're looking at a passage that has to do with legalism. It was a, it's a long passage, I understand that, but uh, there are six woes in this passage, and we're going we're gonna to look at these six woes. Now, there's probably no sin more tolerated or more widespread in Christianity than legalism. Now, it may surprise you to hear it labeled as sin, Legalists are typically thought of as maybe a bit overzealous or uptight, but they're not usually thought of as sinning in the same regard as adulterers, thieves, liars, and the like. To the contrary, legalists uh, seem to be concerned about holiness. If you just look at them. Yet the Lord had more conflict with legalists than he did any other group in his day. It wasn't the adulterers, the murderers, the robbers, and that sort who put him on the cross. It was the legalists. Later on, the Apostle Paul, he had the same problem as the legalists just dogged his steps, perverting the gospel of the grace of God. In fact, when you study the life of Christ, you can see how he deliberately did things to provoke these Pharisees, these legalists. He could have healed people on any other day of the week, but he seemed to do it quite often on Sabbath, which they did not like. He could have been more discreet in violating the Pharisees' rules, but no, he did it openly. When a Pharisee invited him uh, to dinner, he could have gone along with their elaborate hand-washing custom, but he ignored it. When questioned about it, he could have been more polite, <laughs> but he blasted them for their hypocrisy. When a lawyer pointed out that Jesus had offended them as well, he didn't say, oh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you, good people. No, he said, woe to you lawyers as well. You see, Jesus confronted legalism as sin. Somehow we've gotten the idea that to be like Christ means always being nice, never offending anyone, never confronting anyone. But clearly, if we want to be like Jesus, we've got to confront sin. And legalism is sin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, pray that you would just give us a clarity of thought, minds to understand this truth that will point out legalism in our own lives, things that don't really matter, that we're concerned more about the outward appearance than we are what's going on in our very hearts. So Lord, do that for your honor and glory this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is legalism? Well, some wrongly confuse it with an emphasis on obedience. I have been accused of being legalistic because I preach that we must obey God's word. But there's not a book in the Bible that doesn't tell us we're supposed to obey God. Uh, being under grace does not mean that we are free to disobey God. Others say that legalism is when we set up any man-made rules. But the truth is, there are many areas not specifically addressed in, in the Word of God where we need some rules in order to function as a family or a church, even a society. Parents are not being legalistic when they have a curfew for their kids. Neither are churches being legalistic when they follow certain procedures and practices. So what is legalism? Legalism is an attempt to gain the favor of God or to impress our fellow man by doing certain things and not doing other things 
without regard to the condition of our own hearts before God. Now, at the root of legalism is the sin of pride. Pride. Because the legalist thinks that he is able to commend himself to God by his own good deeds. Now, invariably, he is only looking at the externals, what's going on on the outside, not at his heart. Also, the, the legalist's pride, it motivates himself to, or motivates him to exalt himself in the sight of others by his outward behavior. Again, neglecting to see the corruption of his own heart. So legalism denies human depravity and it actually exalts human ability. As such, it's opposed to the gospel of God's grace. Now both Jesus, as I mentioned, both Jesus and Paul clashed with the legalists. Jesus hates legalism because it does not deal with the condition of our hearts before God. Now Christianity is primarily a matter of the heart. Everything flows from a heart relationship with God who transforms our hearts when he regenerates us. It's a new heart. It's a, not a heart of stone anymore. It's a heart of flesh receptive to the things of God. Well, the Jewish religious leaders, they seemingly were seeking after God, but in reality, they were self-seeking. They didn't see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. They saw themselves as basically good people because they kept the law. But in reality, they didn't keep the law because they didn't apply it on the heart level. Now, this is evident in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? You have, heard, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery. That goes to the heart, right? Gets beyond just the externals. Same thing with murder. Same thing with other things. We've got to get to the heart. So Jesus said if they would be as careful about, the, uh, about clean hearts as they were about clean hands, which is what kind of triggered this whole thing. They wanted him to wash a certain way, and he didn't. If they were more concerned about their clean hearts and their clean hands, they would be what they ought to be. So the overall theme of the passage is legalism puts the emphasis on the external, what, what we can see, to the neglect of the internal, what we can't see. Now, before we look specifically at the theme, take note that Jesus, he accepted social invitations from unbelievers. But also note that he didn't hesitate to confront those unbelievers with their sin. He deliberately provoked this conversation by doing something that really surprised the host. But we need to be careful how we apply this particular message here. Jesus was in a cultural context that understood the really bold language of the prophet. And they knew him to be a prophet, so this was within his purview. Also, he is the Lord, right? And as such, he has both the insight and the authority to speak in this manner. Over in Colossians 4, here's what Paul tells us in our dealings with the lost. Walk with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. That makes sense. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Now, the metaphors of salt, that implies that we can and should, to some degree, be provocative, a little bit challenging. But we must always speak in a gracious and sensitive matter. But in every social contact with unbelievers, 
we have to keep our purpose clear. We're there to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit in convincing them, this person that we're talking to, about sin, righteousness, and judgment to proclaim the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Now, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, ostensibly, in an attempt to keep God's law, they had devised and added hundreds of man-made laws. But in so doing, they had shifted the, the, the focus from the heart to the outward man, things that were observable. So, okay, don't commit adultery means that. And if we don't see you commit adultery, you're not committing adultery. And Jesus goes, no, you're only looking at the outside. When Samuel came to anoint the king, he came to David's house. And um, Jesse had eight sons. So he brought them in order. First was Eliab. Eliab looked like a warrior. He was the oldest. He had been in battle. And he was good-looking, strong. And Samuel says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. What's God say to him? No, he's not. You look, man looks at the outside. I look at the heart. Who do they end up with? Child number eight, son number eight, David, a lowly shepherd boy because he had a right heart. So legalists are more concerned with the external than they are the internal. Now, part of these laws in the day that they came up with included this elaborate ritual for washing themselves before meals and for cleaning their dishes and their utensils. Now, there was a basis for these practices in the book of Leviticus, but the Pharisees had taken it far beyond what God intended. And Jesus uses this, this practice, okay, that's a form of legalism, to confront them. You see, religion apart from God is always trying to fix the outer man to look good to other men. But it ne neglects the fact that God looks at the heart. When you stand before God one day, that's what you're going to answer most for. It's what's going on in your heart. Jesus confronted the Pharisees with the fact that all they, although they went to great lengths to, to clean their cups and their platters, they neglected to cleanse their hearts. And they were full of robbery and wickedness, he says. The Pharisees despised those who were outwardly wicked, outwardly sinful. But God looks not only at the outward person, but also on the heart. Inwardly, the Pharisees, they were greedy and they were wicked. Jesus compares this to washing the outside of a bowl and then eating out of it, even though the inside was filthy. How would you like to go to a restaurant and you're sitting at eye level and they bring it up and there's beautiful bowls on the outside, right? And you've got some type of soup. And so when they set it down in front of you, all you notice... There's all kind of stuff clinging to the inside of the bowl because the inside of the bowl was never washed. Yeah, you can see the soup, but you can see all this other stuff too. The outside was beautiful, but the inside was filthy. Would you want to eat there? Would you eat there? Nope. We'd all head up, get up and walk out. That's why Jesus is confronting them. They were so concerned about the external. They looked good, but they were dead on the inside. So, the God who made, the, he tells them, the God who made the outside, did he not also make the inside? So, genuine, genuine religion is a matter of the heart, not just of external compliance. 
In verse 41, Jesus, 41, Jesus seems to be saying that if we deal with our hearts first before God, then everything that flows outward is clean. And then Jesus launches into three woes on the Pharisees. First woe, legalism majors on the minors and minors on the majors. The Pharisees were meticulous about giving a tenth uh, to God of everything they own. We call it a tithe, and that's what tithe means, a tenth. While Jesus upheld the obligation of tithing, he condemned them for neglecting the weightier parts of the law, namely justice and the love of God. Now, as he elsewhere, elsewhere affirmed, the love of God and the love of neighbor sum up the entire law and the prophets. But the Pharisees would cleverly tell even their parents that they could not help them financially because their money was devoted to God. And technically they were tithing, but practically they were neglecting to love their own parents. Modern day legalists also major on the minors and minor on the majors. Some churches and Christian parents, they put major attention on rules about rather petty issues such as dress codes or certain activities, but they tolerate serious sins like gossip, greed, pride. If we shun people because of how they look or over certain behaviors that, according to the Bible, are not really major, then we are being guilty of the sin of the Pharisees. It's legalism. Let me give you an example. Did you know that Jonathan Edwards... Charles Spurgeon, G. Campbell Morgan, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and C.S. Lewis all smoked. Did you know that? Many Christians question your salvation if you smoke. Now, personally, if you smoke, I think you should quit. It's not good for your body. But smoking is not going to send you to hell, folks. My point is there are many Christians who are more concerned with getting somebody to stop smoking than they are getting them to walk in the spirit and doing the deeds of the flesh. Well, the second woe, legalism focuses on self-glory. Jesus next condemns the Pharisees because they love the front seats in the synagogues. You guys like the back seats. They like the front seats. They liked all the, 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 uh, the, the respectful greetings that they got in the marketplace. They love to have, have people notice just how important they are. It made them feel good to be addressed as Reverend Dr. So-and-so, whatever it was in their day. But pride was at the root of it. They were focused on their own glory, not on God's glory. Pride is at the heart of legalism. Humility is at the heart of Christianity. The legalist can take pride in himself and his attainments because he is looking at outward issues, matters, not at issues of the heart. Now, he doesn't acknowledge that his heart is just as sinful as the heart of the, the robber or the prostitute. In fact, if he had been reared in their circumstances or had encountered the problems that they had faced, he would have engaged in the same behavior because he had the same heart of lust and greed. Now, the legalist sees himself as a notch above these type of people. He has attained his righteousness by his own hard work and discipline. The legalist is puffed up with pride. Scripture declares that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. One sure mark of the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts 
is that we see ourselves as terrible sinners in the sight of God. We see that we deserve his judgment because of our pride, because of our selfishness, because of our rebellion. Rather than comparing ourselves with others and concluding that we're basically good, that's easy to do, isn't it? You know plenty of bad people and you can immediately go, well, I'm better than they are. Instead of doing that, we compare ourselves with God. What do we, what do we feel like when we, when we do that? We conclude that nothing good dwells in us. That's exactly what um, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. That nothing good dwells in us. Being convicted of our great need, we flee to the cross for mercy. But legally, they don't like the message of the cross because it confronts their pride. The third woe. Legalism subtly corrupts others. Now, Jesus compares the Pharisees to concealed tombs. If a Jew came in contact with a tomb or a dead body, he was ceremonially unclean for seven days. Now, the picture behind these ceremonial laws was that sin leads to death and that the contamination of sin and death spreads to others if it is not dealt with. The Jew who had been contaminated by contact with a dead body, let's say, had to take responsibility for cleansing himself through the ashes of a red heifer and a ritual washing there with the priests. Now here Jesus accuses the Pharisees who were meticulous about such laws of cleanliness of defiling the entire Jewish nation through their own spiritual death. Because they were dead spiritually, they were, they were contaminating the rest of the nation. Now that charge probably shocked them. The application is that the sin of legalism, it contaminates unsuspecting people. It turns off unbelievers and it keeps them from the truth of the gospel because they see the hypocrisy of the legalist. It's apparent to them and they want nothing to do with it. It contaminates young believers. They're mistakenly taught that if they do certain things and don't do certain things, that they are going to grow in holiness and they're going to be pleasing to God. But invariably, the things that they are told to do and not to do, they're not the important issues of the Bible, such as the love of God and the love of neighbor. Rather, they are more petty things, often things that Scripture doesn't directly command. Instead of uh, the joy of knowing God and having our sins forgiven through His grace, the focus is on rules, this outward conformity, and it has to be maintained. But Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now at this point, an expert in the law, a lawyer, he was at the dinner and he spoke up. And he probably thought that this young rabbi uh, didn't fully grasp the implication of his words. In other words, do you know what you're saying? Um, he, he was not only indicting the Pharisees who, he, who, who generated this conversation, but his scathing words also insulted the lawyers and the entire Jewish religious leadership. But rather than apologizing or backing down, Jesus laid into the lawyers with three more woes. So they're not out of it either. The fourth woe, legalism burdens people with peripheral commandments. When I say peripheral, I just mean they're, they're outside the big things. They're little things. 
They're things you can keep your eyes on. <laughs> the lawyers had taken the commands of scriptures and had multiplied them into hundreds of minute uh, adaptations. But like the lawyers in every age, they also came up with some legal loopholes that enabled them to skirt around their own rules while the average guy was still burdened with them. For example, on the Sabbath, the lawyers determined that you could only travel, it's about a thousand yards from your home. That's a Sabbath day's travel. You couldn't go further than that. But if a rope was tied across the street at the end of your town, that, or at the end of the street, that became your home and you could go a thousand yards behind, beyond that. Or if before a Sabbath, a man left at any given point two meals, enough food for two meals, that was considered his residence. So he could go a thousand yards beyond that. All these little loopholes. The Sabbath laws were given for our benefit so that we would set aside one day in seven for worship and for rest. Now, I believe that modern-day Christians err by throwing out the entire Sabbath principle. Most Christians treat Sunday just like every other day. And on the other end of the spectrum, some err by coming up with specific lists, lists. You can do this, but you can't do this on a Sunday. The main issue is our heart before God. We are to honor Him one day each week by ceasing from our normal routine and worshiping Him. It is that simple. Legalism burdens people with these peripheral issues and rules, things you can and cannot do. Biblical holiness, it frees people by pointing them to the beauty of God's holiness and His love. Listen to what John says in 1 John 5, 3. He says, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. That's pretty good. His commandments are not burdensome. When we obey out of a heart of love for God, even though it's not always easy, it will always result in great joy and blessing. Now to summarize, Jesus is elaborating on a theme that legalism puts the emphasis on the external to the neglect of the internal. He's shown that it majors on the minors, it focuses on self-glory, it subtly corrupts others, and it burdens people with really peripheral issues and rules. The fifth woe, legalism dodges the personal application of God's holiness, but pre pretends outwardly to honor it. The religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't submit their lives personally to the message of the Old Testament prophets, but they built monuments to them to make it look as if they honored them. Now, Jesus lumps the, the current leaders with their ancestors who killed the prophets. He's saying that the, the current leaders are finishing off the job that earlier generations started. Now, as in all the other woes, the underlying problem is, the, is that though outwardly they act as if they honor the prophets, inwardly they had not repented of the very sins that the prophets condemned. Now, when Jesus refers to the wisdom of God there in verse 49, he's not quoting any specific scripture, but he, he's summarizing or personifying all of God's wisdom as revealed through the prophets. Abel was the first man to die. You remember? Why did he die? 
Well, it's because his righteousness convicted his brother Cain of his evil deeds. Now, in the arrangement of the books in the Hebrew Bible, does anybody know what the last book, it's not like our Bible. The Hebrew Old Testament is arranged quite differently. Does anybody know, Tyler, I bet you do, so you don't say, does anybody know what the last book in the Hebrew Bible is? Oh, yeah, you, you, what is it? Exactly, but not, not really. It's, it's Chronicles. Back then, it was just Chronicles. We divided it into first and second because it was so daggum long. But the book of Chronicles was the last book in the Hebrew Bible. Zechariah, which Jesus has mentioned, he mentions Abel, who was the first, and Zechariah was the last, according to their Bible. All right, so that's the two that he's talking about. Jesus is saying that the blood of all the righteous men who were martyred in the Old Testament would be charged against this, against this current wicked generation. Because they rejected God's revealed wisdom about their sin. This may point to the awful judgment that was coming in A.D. 70 when Titus, General Titus came in and just ransacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, burned it to the ground, what have you. Uh, it, it, it also probably includes something having to do with the final judgment as well. The point is, legalists don't apply God's holiness to their hearts. They just put an outward show, put on an outward show of honoring it. Well, the sixth and last woe, legalism misses the true knowledge of God and it misleads those who seek to know him. Now, the key of knowledge refers to the personal knowledge of the living God through his revealed word. In his high priestly prayer there in John 17, uh, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. True religion is a matter of knowing God personally and growing in that relationship with him. Legalism is a matter of going through rituals and keeping rules, but it's devoid of the personal knowledge of God. Now, in many well-meaning but legalistic Christian homes, parents mistakenly think that the way to keep their teenagers in line is to lay down and enforce a lot of rules. If we can keep them hemmed in with these rules, we'll be okay. But the way to keep your teenagers in line is to lead them to a personal knowledge of the Holy One. He's with them when you can't be there. Did you ever consider that? If they truly know him and know the great love of Christ who gave himself for, them, for their sins, uh, they're going to want to please him, beginning on that heart level. As our kids grow in their walk with God, we should be able to ease up on the number of rules, not impose more. Our goal is to give each child, uh, to get each child to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's in a growing personal relationship with him. So legalism takes an external approach, rules. Biblical Christianity focuses on the heart. It's a heart relationship. Some years ago, a church near a college wanted to develop more of a ministry to the students. They didn't know exactly what to do, but they wanted to try to make them feel welcome. And one Sunday, the church was packed, and a, the service was already underway, and this young man came in. Uh, he had the unkempt hair, blue jeans, a t-shirt, no shoes, and he came walking down. He was walking down the aisles looking for a place to sit, and he couldn't find one. So finally, he just parked right down there on the front, on the carpet. And this, this, this created a really uneasy feeling, you can imagine. 
Most people in there were in suits and dresses and they were seated in their rows of pews like they were supposed to be. And here's this young man sitting on the floor with no shoes on. Then every eye noticed an elderly man in a suit walking toward the young man. Everybody's wondering, is he going to scold the young man for dressing like that and coming to church? Is he going to ask him to leave? There was a heavy silence in the church and everyone was focused on this scene. Finally, when he got up to the front where the young, young man was sitting, with a little trouble because of his age, he sat right down next to him and worshipped with him right there on the carpet in front of God and everybody. It was a great example of not looking at the outward person or majoring on the minors, but of accepting the person as God does. Remember, Jesus hates legalism because it doesn't deal with the, content, the condition of our sinful hearts before God. But Jesus loves grace because it's by his grace that he transforms sinners who love God and love others. Let's pray. Father, there's probably not a one of us here who doesn't have something in their lives that exhibits the pride in our hearts in the form of legalism. So God, we ask that you would root that out of us. Expose it to us that we can know what it is, uh, Father, so that we can uh, talk to you about it and you can take action in our lives to rid us of this legalism. Father, you're not concerned so much about the outward actions as you are the heart. And if our heart is right, our outward actions will be right as well. So God, help us to understand that. Help us to see it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe you're sitting out there this morning and you have never begun a relationship, a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you come to church. Maybe you try to be a good citizen. You try to help others. Um, maybe you even give a little money to the church. There's all kind of things that we can do to make us feel better about ourselves. Uh, the Bible says that we all know that God exists. And we also all know that we are accountable to Him. Paul says that, the, that man, talking about all men, suppress this truth in unrighteousness. We don't want to be accountable to anybody. And it's only through Jesus that, that that's ever broken through. Maybe you have never had that heart relationship with God. You've never, as we talked about last week and having the, the places of our hearts, the different rooms. No, that was, on, that was on one of my Bible studies this week. Sorry, that wasn't last week. Uh, Jesus wants access to your entire heart. Have you, ever, have you ever asked God to forgive you for your sins? You have offended him. We all have. Don't feel like I'm pointing finger just at you. No, I'm pointing. I've got, if I had 75 fingers, I'd point them at all of us, right? I point at you and you've got two or three pointing back at me. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of, of the glory of God. There's only one, one remedy for that, and that's Jesus. God sent Jesus to die on the behalf of sinners on the cross. You trust in Jesus. Remember the song, last song we sang, Trust and Obey? You trust Jesus and His accomplish accomplishments on the cross. You set aside anything that you think you can bring because you can't bring anything that will satisfy God except belief and trust in Jesus. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do it this morning. Come down, talk to me. We'll go to the scripture. We'll look, we'll look and see what God says about believing. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get on it.
You come and share it with me if God has been moving you uh, with you in that regard. If you're a Christian, uh, we, 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 all know, we all know the application here. Where are areas where you're, you check a list, boom, 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 every day probably, or at least weekly, you check off this list, I've done this, I've done this, and it makes us feel better when in fact we, we haven't divulged our heart to God. We haven't given Him access there. We, we find this sense of security and satisfaction in our legal, legalism, in checking off the boxes, whatever it might be. Done that time, doing good. No. Has God had access to your heart? If He has, then, he, then whatever flows out of our heart is going to be worthwhile and it's going to bear eternal fruit. Have you done that? Are you doing that on a regular basis? Giving God access to your whole heart. Not the legalistic you that's able to keep rules. Rules have a function. I'm not saying they don't. I'm not saying let's all become you know, rebellious rule breakers. No. Rules have a function. But they're to display what's really going on in the heart. The reason God gave us laws, are those just, uh, what's the right word I'm thinking of? Arbitrary, um, willy-nilly oh, let's make murder bad. Oh, let's make hate bad. Oh, let's make gossiping bad. Whatever the scripture says is bad. No, why are those things bad? It's because they're against the nature of God. So when your heart is right with God, guess what? What flows out of you is going to line up with what God wants in your life in terms of behavior. It's not going to be based on a list. Even if you keep that same list, you're going to keep it differently if God has access to your heart. You'll be doing them out of different motives. Uh, okay, enough of that. If you've got questions about any of this, please don't hesitate to come and talk to me. Uh, ask me about it. We'll sit down. We'll get with it. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.